The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 198. With over 5.5 million vending machines nationwide, Japan has more vending machines than New Zealand has people. And you can buy things like flower arrangements, umbrellas, and even barbecued meat. Mmm, barbecued meat. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and Hezu wa watashi no sumades. Hi, everyone. I said kind of in half-broken Japanese that Heather is my wife, because I didn't know how to say, and joining me is my wife, Heather. So, Heather. Pretty good. Well done. Yeah, so we are here once again speaking about Japan and why it took us so many episodes to actually start recording episodes about Japan. I will never know, but we are super, super excited because today's episode is going to be a Japan survival guide, how to travel in Japan without speaking Japanese or speaking very, very poor Japanese. And that's why I wanted to throw that out in the beginning, Heth. So they could tell that I really don't know what I'm doing when I speak Japanese. <laughs> well, you know enough to get by. I mean, that's saying pretty liberally that you know how to get by while speaking Japanese. But I mean, I guess we're qualified to do this podcast. Yeah, well, we're qualified to do this podcast, I think, for a few reasons. One, if this is the first time you're tuning in, you haven't listened to any other episodes, you won't know this. But we lived in Japan for two years. Second requirement is that we definitely do not know enough Japanese to actually get by on Japanese. We get by solely on, you know, speaking our our native language, which is English. So we have traveled all throughout Japan without really speaking Japanese. And third... Well, we ate sushi today. Does that count? Yeah, we went out. Of course it counts. We went out <laughs> for a really nice lunch before recording this podcast. We said, we got to get in the mood. So we went out and had some sushi. That definitely qualifies us to give you the Japan Survival Guide. And so if you're looking for information about teaching English in Japan, we have recorded that episode already. So you're going to want to check that out. We'll link all that in the show notes. But that's specifically on, on what to look for for teaching English in Japan, because that is what we did. And we're not going to talk about that in this episode, because we gave you about 50 minutes worth of information about yeah. everything you could want to know about teaching English in Japan in a previous episode. And we're also not going to really touch on the destinations, really, that we like. I know sometimes we do like a destination guide for a country or a city, but that's not what we're doing really in this episode. Right. We're going to do that in another episode and kind of give you, you know, the best places that, that we went to and, and kind of touch on all of that. But this episode, we're just giving real practical tips on, you know, how to survive, really how to survive and thrive in Japan without knowing language. And these are tips that we picked up over those two years. I mean, and this is basically... We kind of thought of it as if our friend came up to us and all of you are our friends. So imagine you coming up to us and saying like, I want to go to Japan, 
but I'm scared to go to Japan because I don't know the language and it's very foreign. What should I know ahead of time? And, and what are some of the tips and tricks? And that's what we're going to give them in this episode. Yes. So we've also broken it down into four sections because rather than just getting caught up with blabbing on about stories about which Japan. Which we're prone to do. Which you're very prone to do. We decided to break it into four sections so that it, it made a little more sense. And those four sections are etiquette transportation, accommodations, and eating. And within these sections, I mean, some stuff's going to tie in and there'll probably be some funny stories that come out and things like that. But we want to give you the nitty gritty on, hey, this is what you should be ready for. And this is also, I think, importantly, why you shouldn't be scared to travel to Japan. Because we do hear that a lot of of people who like, think it would be really cool, but are, are a bit terrified of doing it and overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as we mentioned in the other podcast about Japan, everyone in Japan is so nice. So there's definitely no reason to feel too overwhelmed because there will always be people to help you. Yeah, and I, let's start off with that point. The fact that if you are someone who's overwhelmed or afraid or you know scared of going to Japan, you just think, well, it's, it's really going to be difficult. Don't let that stop you. And this podcast is going to give you all the advice on how not to let it stop you. But Starting off, don't let it stop you because the Japanese people are wonderfully helpful, awesome people. The country itself is incredible. And again, we're not going to go into all our favorite places, but and you might not even need to be sold on Japan. But if you do at all, you would say, go, 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 go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is such an amazing country. And it's so different from what we're used to in the US and in Europe that it's just really going to blow your mind. Yeah. And some of the things that we're going to talk about here, the differences that we tell you not to be scared of, that's some of the best part of traveling to Japan is that it is very unique and very different. If you know some stuff ahead of time, I think it'll help put your mind at ease. So let's jump right in. We're going to start with etiquette because the culture is very different from Western culture. And we didn't know much about the culture before going over. And one of the biggest things that we were worried about is, you know, am I going to do something like commit this awful cultural faux pas? And we probably did while we were there without even knowing it some of the times. But there's some etiquette that if you're aware of is going to make it a lot easier for you. Yeah. And the thing with this is, Japanese people aren't going to make you feel bad because they're not even going to tell you if you do something wrong. But it's good to know a couple of little rules before you go over there. And one of the things that you'll see most often is when you enter a house that you are supposed to take off your shoes. Yeah. And our Canadian friends always got on us for this because I guess it's more prevalent in Canada or it seems to be because they would always say, I can't believe you don't take off your shoes when you enter a home. And here we are actually sitting in our own home right now and I have my shoes on because that's you know, some homes you do do that in America, but for the most part, um, we don't take off our shoes when we go into homes. And that's a really big thing in Asian culture in general, especially in Japan. You don't want to walk in a home or a public building or anything like that in your shoes that you come in from the outside. So even in like the school that I worked at, a lot of times you would, well, not a lot of times, all the time, you would take your shoes off before you entered the building and you would put on indoor shoes, indoor shoes which were like they had slippers for everyone to wear. Did you do that when you would go into your building, which was uh, like a factory um, office so setting? So in my uh, building, we actually... It's a factory, so you had to wear steel-toed shoes. So you actually had your own pair of like work shoes that you put on. It wasn't the same as having slippers, but I imagine maybe 
if it wasn't a factory, you'd have to do that. Right. Uh, and and that happens a lot, and especially in homes. Um, so you're always going to be taking your shoes off. Uh, a lot of restaurants, not all of them, but some restaurants you do if there's that tatami mat, which is kind of like the straw matting that they have in, um, you, you will take off yeah, your shoes. I and actually put forgot on about that. Yeah. Like when we would go to Okonomiyaki and we'd have to take off our shoes. Ooh, throwing and... out those Japanese words. <laughs> Okonomiyaki is an awesome cabbage pancake. That will make it into our Destination Diary Japan yes. episode. Another etiquette thing is, is never to talk on the phone on a bus or a train. So any public transportation, you don't want to be talking on your phone. It's pretty cool. It's one of the things I really liked about Japan. I mean, you could be on your phone. People are texting and watching videos and stuff like that. Playing but, video games. Yeah, playing video games, but you don't want to actually talk on your phone. It's considered very, very rude. And if you do, you will see a lot of people looking at you probably just because they're perplexed as to why you would even do it because it's so uncommon there. Yeah, and it also is common just to kind of be a little quieter on the trains because one time we had a group of us of about like six or seven of us and we were all being pretty rowdy and it was like a Saturday morning at 11 a.m. and we got yelled at. Yeah, this <laughs> happened. I mean, I remember the specific time you're talking about, but it happened more than once. Let's yes. put it that way. It, it happened frequently. We'd have a big group of people. Everyone would be excited. Um, I remember my one friend, Drew, getting yelled at on the bus. He was the only person on the bus. It was him and the driver going up to his rural little hamlet that he lived in. And he pulled out his phone and started talking on it because he got a call. And the bus driver pulled, started yelling at him in Japanese. He didn't know what he was saying. And pulled the bus over <laughs> and explained to him, you're not allowed to talk on your phone in Japan. So, And when I say yelled at, he probably just was like sternly talking too. So don't do that. Another one though, talking about public transportation, is that people will push their way onto public transport. So Japanese people are exceedingly nice and polite and friendly. But one of the things that we found odd at first, because we weren't used to it, is that they to get onto a train or anything with public transportation, they will push like, you know, you'll be in line and they will everyone will cram in and, and be pushing around. Yeah, and there's that is no just personal space thing. on those trains when they're busy. And it could be in Tokyo or it could be like even where we lived because taking public transportation is so so prevalent in these countries if school students take them like you know elementary school students will take them high schoolers will take them so when i would travel from our house down to the city with my commute before we had a car there would i would sometimes not be able to find a seat and you'd have to stand and everybody would be all up next to you so they're always crowded, kind of no matter where you are in Japan. Yeah, so get used to it. Don't I mean, there were times I remember I'd get upset, like, I'm in line, I should be on first, you know, and then everyone just kind of pushes on. But let it be how it is. It's not a rude thing to them. It's a cultural difference. So don't get angry, don't get upset with it. Just go with the flow, push your way on. Another kind of etiquette thing and this is this could go into accommodations too is they have things called onsens there which are natural hot springs natural hot springs and um typically you go into these naked typically i when do you not go in them naked <laughs> I, yeah i guess unless there is one catering to westerners or i don't something. know so with, with these onsens with these natural baths they always have them separated by gender. So males go in one and females go in, in the others. And yeah, you go in completely naked. So it can be kind of uncomfortable if you're not used to something like that. I know when I first went in one and, you know, there's all of these other Japanese women around and I'm just like, is this normal? But it's totally normal and they all go quite often. 
you know, like every week they go sometimes. And this is one of those Japanese things that you certainly do not want to miss if you're going. I mean, the onsens are, are it's really is a cool cultural experience. Uh, it's really relaxing. It's really nice. They have them all over the place. They might have them in the hotels or ryokans that you're staying at. Um, they also have places that are just onsens. Like, it's like a spa, so you would just go there. Definitely go. It's going to feel a little uncomfortable, but it's really, really going to be fun. So another one, and this is kind of gets to the eating um, and the next three are actually about eating, but don't eat until the host has taken the, the first bite. Yeah. So if you're at like a party or someone's home, then the host of that dinner party should always take the first bite. Yeah. It's just common courtesy. And they always say, itadakimasu, which you probably won't remember. Now, if you speak Japanese, you're going to be laughing at us saying some Japanese words at this podcast. But if you don't, you won't remember it because... It, it all sounds it's hard the same, to say but it's but, basically a blessing for the meal yeah and like it, thank you to whatever you're eating for like letting you eat it and right and, and usually the, the host will, will maybe say it or like even if you're sitting with people it's just polite now it's not gonna be expected of, of you if you're a tourist or anything like that but it's just polite to say eat the documents and it just also means like i'm gonna start eating you're not really asking permission you're just making people aware of it just as like a polite curse like i'm gonna start eating now so that's just something that you, you, you'll hear people say. If you hear people say something before they're eating, like, what are they saying? Yeah, it's itadakimasu. It's just kind of that that little greeting. Another one that is a huge faux pas that um, we actually freak out about now if, if we're like out eating dinner with someone and someone does this because we've been so ingrained to, to not do this. Are you talking about refilling drinks? No, no I you're was talking about you were skipping to the I thought you were thinking of this one to the chopstick rule. Yes. So the chopstick rule is, I think, a pretty serious offense in Japan. Yeah, and <laughs> and again, pretty serious. I don't mean it's that serious, but no one's going to like yell at you or admonish you, but they will be somewhat horrified. Like it will just they'll be very shocked. OK, so what the rule is, never, ever, ever stick your chopsticks in the bowl. Like if there's a bowl of rice, don't stick your chopsticks up and down vertically in the bowl. You always have to place them on the side of the plate or on the side of the bowl. Or a lot of restaurants will even have chopstick holders that you put your chopsticks in. So that is the very proper way to use your chopsticks. Yeah. If you only remember two of these, I think remember that one and remember the take your shoes off before going inside one. Those are kind of the two that stick out in my mind as being... Uh, ones that people from the Western uh, culture might not know, but could be the one. Like, if you know those two, those are probably the two big ones in my mind. The, the Another one while eating is that you, when you're pouring drinks, you always want to pour drinks for other people. So you, you wouldn't grab, like if you had a pitcher of water or a pitcher of beer or something like that, you wouldn't grab that and fill your own glass. You would make sure to to fill everyone else's glass. And then if, if someone is filling your glass, the polite thing to do is grab the glass and like tilt it and like hold it. So it just shows that you're not, they're serving you. They're doing something polite, but you're grabbing the glass say, oh, oh yeah, here you go. Like, don't serve me. You're not sitting back and letting them fill your glass. So it's just kind of back it's this and whole forth back thing. And forth thing. Like if you've ever see a bow off, you know, when you bow to someone in Japanese, like 
then when when does the bowing stop? It's this whole kind of thing like, you're very nice. I'm also nice. Please don't be too nice. No, I'm not going to be too nice. It just goes back and forth. Right. It's kind of funny. So always always fill someone else's glass um, and grab your glass if someone's filling yours uh, and just hold it there and that's fine. I just thought of another one too. I mean, we pr- we could... Like as we we're saying them, ones keep coming up, but I want to finish with the eating ones. And this is one that you brought up. Yeah. So the one that you're thinking of, uh, the last one is you're not really supposed to eat and walk at the same time. So, you know, like in the US and other countries, you grab a sandwich or a bagel and you're just like walking down the street eating. I guess that's not something that you really do in Japan. I never noticed people eating and walking and I had read that you're not supposed to do it. So I don't think many people do it. Yeah, it's it's just something uh, you could. This is a smaller one, but yeah, it's just just to be culturally polite, you might want not want to do it. The one that I thought up, and this might not happen to a lot of people, but um, if you're traveling as a tourist, but when someone gives you a business card as well, so a lot of this, you know, really polite and and make sure you're making sure you're honoring the other person. When someone hands you a business card, you always want to take it with two hands. So like both hands, you want to take it and you want to kind of like, you'll bow to them because you'll bow to every single person, but take it with both hands and then you don't want to take it and put it in your pocket or put it in your wallet or anything like that. You just kind of want to hold it there until the interaction is maybe over and then, you know, then you could put it in your wallet or pocket, but you're basically not just saying, oh yeah, thanks for the card, one hand and then like putting it away. Wow, it's I'm like, not sure I even knew that one. Yeah. And, and it might not happen to anyone, but you just want to err on the side of being ultra polite and you'll always probably get away um okay so that's kind of etiquette again we might have committed faux pas well we certainly committed faux pas while we were there we may even still like there's a lot that we're not aware of but those are kind of the big ones that come to mind and like speaking of bowing in japan people don't usually shake hands unless it's a business situation and they like first you bow but they might shake your hand just as like a nice gesture for you but typically you bow and it's so funny you bow for everyone all the time at the grocery store crossing the street we started bowing so much that when we came back to the u.s we would bow to people in the u.s and it was like this thing that we had to consciously stop doing what did people say like when you came back from living in japan they called it like the chicken or something like basically you're always kind of bowing at the waist and you might not be bowing the whole way but you're bowing and so you're just kind of bopping up and down with your head like we'd cross the street in a car less and we'd bow instead of like giving away we don't we would bow for like the first six months after we came back because that's what you do in japan and and I wouldn't worry too much about the bowing aspect of it. I know like that's kind of a funny thing in pop culture, like the bow-offs. Just as long as you remember to bow to people and bowing lower than them is a way to show respect. So like if you want to show a lot of respect, like you will bow deeper, like your body would be, you know, not exactly at a right angle, but you would bow a deeper bow if you want to show more respect. So just just be aware of that. As far as now... The, the kind of the actionable advice and, and the things that we learned when it comes to not only s- like having a great experience in Japan and surviving Japan, but also saving money because Japan can be an expensive country. And we should have touched on this at the top, but I guess we're telling you now. Japan can be an expensive country um, depending on the exchange rate. And right now, as we're recording this, the exchange rate is really, really good for the US dollar and most other currencies against the yen. So it's a lot cheaper than when we were there. But overall, it's a first world country and it can be expensive. So a lot of these tips we're going to give you are things that can help you save money while you're there. And I want to touch on transportation first. And the biggest 
thing that can save you money and be really convenient is a Japan Rail Pass. So in Japan, they have the Shinkansen, which is the bullet train. It's the super fast high-speed train. And the transportation system in Japan is so amazing. It's so punctual. It's so efficient. And it's so fast if you take the bullet train that you're going to want to take the bullet train because you can literally see the whole country in two weeks if you have the Japan Rail Pass. Now... If you don't have the Japan Rail Pass and you pay individually for each bullet train ride, it's going to cost you hundreds and thousands of dollars because each bullet train ride is usually 60 to 200 to 400 dollars. Like if you want to go Tokyo to Hiroshima, when we were living there, it was about 450 US dollars per person. Yeah, round trip. Like to put this in perspective, we'll give you some of the prices here. And again, this is the current conversion rate. Um, at about 120 Japanese yen to one US dollar. And when we were there, it was 70 Japanese yen to one dollar. So, I mean, it is flipped completely. I mean, it is almost, uh, it is almost half as expensive or, or twice as cheap as it was when we were there. However you want to say that. The Japan Rail Pass for a seven-day regular pass is now about 235 US dollars. When my parents came and we were there, it was 500? like... No, it was like 390 or something yeah. like that. And and now the 14-day pass is 370. So you know, you're in essence getting a 14-day pass for what they got a seven-day pass for. And... um. What's really neat about it, as Heather mentioned, is you can hop on any of the bullet trains outside of the the fastest one, which is called the Nozomi. And again, you don't have to know all this, but almost any bullet train in the country you can hop on. You can hop on the regional rails. You can hop on buses. It really is an amazing thing. It's like an all-inclusive pass. And getting around Japan by train is definitely going to be the best way. We're going to talk a little bit about flights in, in a short bit, but... If you can do it by train, it's just it's easy because the trains are so punctual and the trains are so nice. If you haven't been on a Japanese train, you're in for a treat because these are like the nicest, as nice as the nicest trains in Europe. Yeah, and not even just the the fast bullet trains, but just the local trains are also really nice. Even if they're older, they're all very well maintained. You will never see graffiti on them. They're very clean, really nice ways to travel throughout the country. I think they have electrical outlets on it, most of them. Um, they'll serve food on it. You can bring your own food, and it's really... Oh, and you can drink, too, if you want. That's that's another thing we should mention, an etiquette thing, I guess, is that you can drink, and we'll talk about eating and drinking as well, but you can drink anywhere in Japan. Like there's Alcoholic no, beverages. Yeah, there's no open container laws. So you can drink you know, on the street. You can you can have an alcoholic beverage um, on the train. You know, That's totally fine. People do it all the time, and, and well, sometimes they do it to excess, uh, some of the Japanese. To put that in perspective, the Japan Rail Pass, seven days, about $235. If you were to go from... The Tokyo airport, if you were to go from Narita and you wanted to go down to Osaka, so in between the two biggest cities, or, or even down to Kyoto, which is near Osaka, so that's like a very big destination. A lot of people like go to Japan, they know, all right, I want to go to Tokyo, I want to go to Kyoto. Um, that would be about, it would be the same price as a seven-day Japan Rail Pass. So for the same price as one round trip between Tokyo and Kyoto, you can get a seven-day Japan Rail Pass. So it's 
highly worth it. Right. And what we need to say about the Japan Rail Pass is that you have to get it before you come to Japan. Yes. You can't you can't get it when you arrive, no, right? No, they don't sell it in Japan. You have to get it outside so of Japan. So you just go online and you can order it online and they send it to you by yeah. mail. And then you have to bring it with you and you have to make sure, obviously, you have your passport with you and the Japan Rail Pass whenever you're using the trains. Yeah, and you'll go to the ticket office and, you know, when it starts, if you have a seven-day or 14-day or I think they do a third day you just go into the ticket office, you show them your passport, always carry your passport and this around because they need ID. Yeah, and they'll stamp it and that'll start it. And then you have unlimited rides. I mean, they don't sell any of these like, you know, ones with a certain amount of rides. It's unlimited for that seven or 14 days. And um, it's really, really amazing. And if you're there, I mean, I would suggest spending at least two weeks in Japan. We didn't really talk about an itinerary and we'll do that in a destination diary episode on Japan. But it would be hard to do everything you'd want to do in Japan in one week. It could be done, but um, two weeks would be ideal. And so you can get the Japan Rail Pass outside of Japan. And I do just want to say one more thing. I know it's sounding a little complex, but the Japan Rail Pass does not include reserved seats. So on the Shinkansen, they have like uh, reserved cars and then they have like open seating cars. So you can always sit on you know in the open cars but if it's a really busy time then you might want to reserve a seat because then otherwise you'd have to stand the whole entire train ride so the japan rail pass does not include the reserved seat ticket yeah. so and they have two classes of it one's an ordinary one which most people get and one's a green i think they call it and that is like the first class and i think that i'm not exactly sure does if you're in the first if you get the first class one it in it includes reserved seating, okay. but it's also like instead of two hundred and thirty day dollars uh, for seven days, it's something like four. It's almost double. So you know whether that would be worth it or not. I don't know. If you're because, traveling with a family and you want to make sure your kids have a place to sit. I don't know. It's up to you. But just beware of that when you're ordering the ticket because the trains are really comfortable. But I don't want to say that like oh you'll definitely get a seat unless right. you have the reserve. Yeah, that is a great point. So the Japan Rail Pass, get it. You have to be going on a tourist visa. We couldn't get it when we lived there because we were on a work visa. But you know, ninety nine percent of you, I think, will be going on a tourist visa you can then get it. Just get it before you go. A really, speaking of train travel, a really awesome site. And this was a savior for us when we were in Japan. Probably the thing we used more than any other tip in this entire podcast. Probably. And that was Hyperdia. Hyperdia.com. So it's a website that allows you to put in your destinations and it'll tell you all of the trains, like where to get the train to which cities, and it's all in English. That's the key. Because, you know, in other countries, you can figure things out because, like, at least the alphabet's the same. But in Japan, their alphabet is different. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's just written in the Japanese characters. So in you kanji, can't read yep. it. You can't read it at all. So you'll be in Tokyo in some of the main, you know, subway stations, and they won't have any, like, they call it romaji, which is like the English letters of the alphabet. They won't even have that. They'll just have the symbols. So this website translates it into English and it makes it so easy. It even tells you like the train to the bus to the whatever. Yeah, like what what track you're going to come into, where you should transfer, things like that. So if you're looking for train schedules, hyperdia.com. We'll link that in the show notes. Um, But it's H-Y-P-E-R-D-I-A.com. And it's all in English. And you can put in basically any station in Japan to go to any other station and it'll spit out how to do it and what times it's running and everything like that. It is a lifesaver for English speakers or anyone who doesn't speak Japanese and speaks 
yeah, I guess it's only in English, I think. It might actually be in some other languages. Not sure. But hyperdia.com. Train travel, definitely our recommended way of getting around the country. But we should say we, we did a decent amount of flying as well because there are times where flying is A, cheaper. Like if you have the Japan Rail Pass, it might not be cheaper but because we couldn't get the Japan Rail Pass. A lot of times flying was cheaper than actually taking a train. And there are some really, really good options in Japan for flying. Right. And if you're going to the northernmost island or the southernmost island, Okinawa or Hokkaido, you're probably going to want to fly. I mean, you right. can't and even take a train to Okinawa. And I, I don't. They're, they're like opening a train up to the northern island, Sapporo, which, or uh, excuse Hokkaido. me, Hokkaido. Sapporo is the capital city, which is in essence, think of it as like Alaska is to the US. That's <laughs> what Hokkaido is to Japan. And they are opening, I believe, a Shinkansen line up there, but I don't think it's open yet. So you might even have to fly. And, you know, if you do have to fly, I mean, that's a long trip, even on a really nice train anyway. Right. So if you do have to fly, we used um, a couple different airlines that were Japanese airlines. Yeah. And so they, they have budget airlines there, which are really good. And that's important because to get around domestically, it's really nice to use a budget airline. You're not flying on, you know, one of the legacy carriers like Japan Airways or ANA. Uh, Skymark is a really, really neat one. And they do a thing where they only open up tickets. It's tiered pricing. So it's basically if you get in early, you get like cheaper tickets, you know, and then when those run run out, then they go up and, and that you can see everything. You know, it's like, I think they have five different tiers. And so if you get in early, and I cannot remember how many days in advance it is. I want to say, I, I just checked. Yeah, I, I might be 90. I'm not exactly sure. 90 sounds about right. But they, they start opening up the tickets. Let's say it's 90. Um, 90 days in advance. And so you can't book any further in advance than that. So if you know that you're going and you're going to Japan in like seven months, you can't book these tickets yet. But when 90 days comes up, from when you want to fly, you get in there and you can get some amazing deals. I mean, for example, we flew from where we lived, which is in between Tokyo and Osaka, all the way up to the northernmost island, um, Hokkaido. And we did that for like 80 US dollars round trip or something. And this was when it was more expensive too. So we did it like 80, 90 US dollars because we got those first tier Yeah, I remember tickets. you, the day that they opened, you were just like waiting I was crazy. to buy them and like clicking refresh for when they would open well, up. Well, it was also like 10 of us were going on this trip. And so I told people and I figured out this like system. Of course, you it's did. In, their, their website is in Japanese, but then it's, they also have an English version, but it's not the best English. So trying to find out what I had to do was a bit confusing, but I had everyone on hitting refresh, trying to get in because we were going to Yuki Matsuri, which is the snow festival up there. And we knew there'd be a lot of people going up. Yeah. So like we just refresh, refresh, refresh. Can we get in? And we did. And we got really cheap tickets. We did. And then it's funny because the people who didn't get in as soon, you know, their ticket was maybe $20 more or $40 more depending on how long they waited. But yeah, that's a great resource for buying domestic flights within Japan. Yeah, Skymark. And, they're, and they keep, I just went on their website today to check and haven't been on for probably like a year and a half because we haven't obviously had to buy tickets. And they keep adding more and more flights. So it's really cool. Um, there are more budget airlines than when we were there now. Um, before, it used to just kind of be Skymark. But now there's one called Peach Airlines, which we haven't flown because we haven't been to Japan since they kind of um, opened up. But I've heard really good things about Peach Airlines and also Air Asia. So when we were in Japan, Air Asia had just started making inroads into Japan. So they were flying 
from international destinations to Japan. Now they're looking to launch a Jap Air Asia Japan, which would do a lot of domestic flights. It's not out yet, but it's really good to get if you are going from somewhere over in Asia to Japan, or you want to go somewhere from Japan or like from Japan to somewhere in Asia. Air Asia is incredible. Yeah, well, we took one of the first flights that that Air Asia ran from Japan to Kuala Lumpur, and it was what. $80? It was $85 round trip. Because <laughs> it was a special. From Osaka to Kuala Lumpur, $85 round trip per person for what was a seven-hour international flight. And I, yeah, I do believe it was either the first... I, it might not have been the first day they had this route, but it was like the second day they had just opened it. And we just happened to want to go down to, uh, to Kuala Lumpur, and we got that ticket, and it was really, really cheap. Another one, if anyone's listening... Um, and is in Australia or is Australian, Jetstar actually runs up into Japan too. And we were able to get tickets from Cairns back up to Osaka for like $200 one way. So that's not a, that's not a bad deal either. Um, so there is some cheaper ways to get out of Japan to other countries. And then if you're in Japan, Skymark, Peach Airlines um, are some that you can use domestically. Right. So if you aren't flying and you're not taking these huge long train trips and you're just in a city what would you do? Yeah, cities, I think, really intrigue people, uh, you know, Japanese cities, because they are so crazy compared to Western cities and so different. But a lot of people get intimidated by them as well. And we still are to this day when I go to Tokyo, I think, what is going on? But subways are really, really great ways to get around the city. And almost all the Japanese cities will have some sort of metro or subway system. They have amazing public transportation, probably the best transportation of any country, public transportation of any country in the world. Any you know, that we've been to. On par with sure. Switzerland or Germany or anything like that. And so don't be afraid of the subways. Definitely take them. They're really clean. I mean, if you're coming from like any U.S. city with subways, you're going to be impressed about Pleasantly how clean surprised. they are. Um, and they're really punctual, basically everything that the U.S. subways aren't. And <laughs> they they also, you can ask for a Romaji map. And Romaji, as Heather mentioned before, is like, is the English alphabet. So, you know, instead of saying Heza in characters, which is Heather's name, it would say like H-E-Z-A. So it helps you. They do have Romaji maps on these places. So at least you can look at this map and, and kind of sound out things. Absolutely. So that will help you a lot. And in bigger cities, there are always people who speak English. Like we have been in the subway at a station in Tokyo and just like looking at the map befuddled because we can't, you know, we don't have the Romaji map and like the board that's up on the wall is only in the characters. And like people have come up and just said, excuse me, do you need help? You know, just Japanese people. And this one time, somebody even like told us where to go. And he's like, oh, I'll just ride along with you to show you to make sure you and get we were where like, no, you're we going. We totally understand. <laughs> and he got on the train with us and he rode with us. Like he switched trains even with us to make sure we knew where we were going. Like we're very sure where we're going. Thank you very much. And then he said, Oh, yeah, my house is the exact opposite way. And then he had to get back on the train and take like out to his house for like an hour and a half. And he offered to give us money. He said, do you have any money for dinner? He wanted to give us money. I don't know. We must have looked. We we, we had done a marathon that day. Um, so we, and it was oh, pouring rain. So we maybe looked a little bit bedraggled. Or is that a word? Bedraggled. I don't yeah. know. We looked awful, <laughs> we I'm looked sure. Terrible. We obviously looked homeless 
We looked dumb, <laughs> homeless, and like we didn't have enough money for food. Um, so he took pity on us. But they're really, really nice. I, another cool way to get around cities and that we really like is bike rentals. Sometimes you'll... We actually, in Kyoto, this is... Kyoto is an amazing city to get around by bike. My favorite city. Heather's favorite city um, in Japan. And it's a great way to get... A, a great city to get around by bike. Other cities as well. I mean, there's there's some traffic, but usually bikes are a really cool way to get around. So I would highly recommend if you want to see a decent amount of the city, but you, you know, with the subways, they're good to get around, but you're underground and you're not seeing it. Rent a bike. Uh, they can be pretty big to walk. I mean, walking's fine too, but getting a bike yeah, just biking opens is great. It up. And biking is so many people in Japan bike. It's a very biking. Culture, yeah, bike friendly, yeah. bike friendly um, in Japan. So you'll definitely feel right at home with all the locals if you hop on an old bike that you know doesn't have many speeds yeah. and or has one speed. <laughs> most of them will speed. have one speed and have a basket on the front. And it's just it's, it's a cool way. And most drivers are really aware of it because it is there is such a biking culture there. So it's much easier to bike around big cities in Japan than it is to bike around like New York City, um, which I almost killed Heather in once when we got those city bikes. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, much easier there. The last kind of thing, or not the last thing, but you know, one of the things that people might want to be aware of is taxis. And taxis are... Expensive. So, I mean, I guess now that the dollar is so much stronger, it wouldn't be so bad. But one time when I was in Tokyo, I had to take a taxi by myself um, to where I was staying. And it cost me like 55 US dollars for, I think, a 10 minute ride. Yeah, taxis can get it was a lot pricey. Um, I was none too. Well, actually, I wasn't that unhappy because you were by yourself. I was somewhere else. So yeah, I was happy. But, um, but anyway, they're pretty expensive. So if you have a couple people, it's not so bad. But just be aware of that. Also, if you want to rent a car. Now, we never rented a car in Japan. And I wouldn't really recommend renting a car in Japan. You don't need it because the public transportation is so on point. But if you're going to Okinawa. Now, we went to Okinawa and we were not able to and rent a car. those are the southernmost islands. So think kind yeah. of like Hawaii is to the U.S. I know yes. I keep making these generalizations. But yeah. Okinawa is a lot like Hawaii. And not as warm, though. It's, it's still, it does have like a cooler season to it because we went there in May and it was pretty chilly. So don't pack like it's Hawaii. But anyway, we it's recommended to rent a car there because they don't have as many of the trains and there's a lot of buses that go between places and it's kind of confusing. So if you want to rent a car anywhere in Japan, Okinawa would be the place. And if you do, you need an international driver's permit. Yeah, for sure. And if you don't have one, they won't rent to you. In fact, Heather actually rented a motorbike, like like actually a pretty big motor scooter. <laughs> they gave her this huge one when we were in Okinawa to take around for the day. And I couldn't rent one because I didn't have my international driver's permit with me for some reason. And Heather did and she could rent it and things like that. So they're yeah, very strict about they it. They are. Car rentals. Yeah, you're not going to need them. I mean, very few people we would tell to rent a car if they came to Japan. Going to Okinawa might be one, but really it's so easy to get around. Even to some of these rural areas, you know, even if they aren't served by a train line, although you'd be surprised how many crazy areas have trains going to them, they definitely are served by buses and things like that. And it just, it's always on schedule and everything runs really smoothly. So I would not recommend renting a car if you can avoid it. Um, also with a taxi, I do want to say though, you know, if you have to take a taxi ride, it is pretty cool because they, 
It's so nice. The taxis are super nice. All the drivers wear like white gloves and the door actually automatically opens for you. So it's kind yeah, of it's like this fancy. funny, fun experience. It's fun. And again, if you have a couple people, it's really not that bad in price. Yeah. So that's transportation in Japan. I know we took a while to cover that, but that's because that it is such an an important thing and, and a question we get asked a lot and something that is much different from how we're used to traveling, which is renting a car and going because there's such good public transportation. You don't really have to. Let's roll into accommodations here, Hath. And there are some really good websites just to start off that we would highly recommend for if you're looking for accommodations in Japan. So the one that we used the most probably when we were in Japan was Agoda, agoda.com, which is now I think probably quite a bit bigger as a website than it was when we first started using it. But it's mostly in Asian countries yeah, and it's really good for Japan. They have a lot of good hotels listed on there. Yeah, it's a really good booking engine for Asia as Heather mentioned, in general, think of it as like a booking.com or hotels.com, which are also, they they are also available in Asia. We just found that Agoda gave us the best price and had the best availability. But one that is unique, and I believe it's only unique to Japan. I don't think it's in the rest of Asia. And this was called Rakuten. And Rakuten now, or always was, I'm not sure, is like a huge shopping site for, for Japan and stuff. So like an Amazon almost. And I keep making these. I guess it's good to make these comparisons because <laughs> it helps people understand. But it also has a travel part of it. And I don't know... Not many people know about it. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but I would always cross-check with Rakuten, and we got some phenomenal deals. So it's just travel.rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com, and we'll link that in the show notes. But it just it showed up a lot of interesting properties that never showed up on um, these Agodas and things like that. And I think that's because they're very specific to Japan, so stuff right. that never got translated by those other websites somehow for Rakuten they did and we ended up getting really really cheap accommodations there so the thing with Japan is of course they have lots of hotels and hotel rooms in Japan are really small they're going to be a lot smaller than your normal hotel experience but they also have these really cool places called ryokans and those are like a traditional Japanese kind of like a guest house, like a family house where you can go and stay. And they're more like you have a room and the room has like tatami or not tatami, it has tatami, but it also has like futon beds that you just lay on the floor and you all sleep in it together. So you do this with friends or if you have kids or you're traveling with family, you can all just stay in it together. Yeah. Think of a Ryokan as an inn more than like a hotel. Like yeah. it is. It's, it's usually family run. It's usually fairly small some of them are big bigger but it's it's very small and it is it has rooms where you're like sleeping you know you'll pr- some of them have their own bathrooms like you have your own bathroom some of them they don't you know it obviously runs the gamut but they're very very unique and usually um traditionally very traditional styled yeah. and the practices they have there are very traditional so it's a really cool experience if you're going to japan and you want to stay in hotels the whole time fine but definitely try to stay i wouldn't at- say fine I would say try a Ryokan. That's what I was just going to say. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I was going to say, fine, stay in a hotel, but at least for two nights, try a Ryokan. And a lot of the Ryokans will be the ones that have those onsens too. They'll have the the baths right at their Ryokan sometimes. Yeah. And just to clarify, when Heather said like you're all sleeping together, she didn't necessarily mean like everyone who was staying at the Ryokan was no, sleeping. No, 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 no. It was like they'll have big... They Big might family have family rooms. rooms where there'll be six of you and you, you get your futons, you put them out and you sleep in this huge open area. 
Um, some, but and it's so, still private from the other guests right. that are not a part of your group. Right. And so, and we stayed in an awesome Ryokan in Hiroshima. We stayed in also a fabulous Ryokan that will, when we do our destination diorama, what we'll talk about, but this was outside of Tokyo. Um, things like that. They also have hostels um, and, and guest houses, so you can find stuff on Hostel World and Hostel Bookers. And one thing to note with the hostels, too, is that it really is starting to pop up more and more in Japan because there's like younger backpackers and people going through, but also they're really well kept. Like everything in Japan will be way cleaner than you imagine it'll be. So you might be at a hostel um, and maybe you think, oh, you know, what type of level or service am I going to get? It's going to be probably top notch anyway. Yeah, because Japan has the best customer service service than any other country in the world. I think they take such pride in being the best at this and they're, and they're really good accommodating for all things customer service related. Yeah, a few other unique accommodation options that we should mention. And these are, I love Japan because they have something for <laughs> everyone. So there, you may have heard of these um, if, you've, if you've studied Japan or looked into Japan at all, but capsule hotels. And... <laughs> Heather never actually stayed in one. I never technically stayed in, stayed in one. Travis really wanted to stay in one just for the experience. As you know, he likes to be very adventurous and try In the name of things. research. In the name of research. So capsule hotels are basically like little pods yeah, that you, you sleep in. You get a pod and it basically has a bed and some of them have like little TVs in them. But, you, you know, and you can you close the front of the pod and you just sleep in this pod. Yeah, like a spaceship type thing like you're encapsulated in this pod and it's i mean if you're claustrophobic i wouldn't recommend right it. and and most capsule hotels work like they're really just for for people just to get sleep so you know the capsule hotel that i was in in yokohama you know it had a, a, a guy section and girl section they're usually they're usually split up like that and um you know, in, in the guy section, there's maybe 30 pods. And I guess in the girls, there was too. And it was like a shared communal bath and like a big bathroom. And then like downstairs, they had a little place to like get some food, like a little restaurant. But really, you know, you go in and it's just if you want somewhere to sleep and you just need the bare bones. And it is a really interesting experience. I mean, it's unlike anything else I had done. So Capsule Hotel, I, I would recommend trying it out. And they are cheap. You know, that's kind of the reason a lot of people do them. If, it, if you're a single traveler or something like that, it might be 25, 30 bucks a night. Whereas if you were to get a hotel room, you're looking at 90, 100, you know, minimum. Yeah, it's so, cheaper for sure. Um, capsule Hotels, they are also um, have things called Love Hotels. Now, I think Love Hotels get kind of a bad rap like you know it seems kind of dicey or unscrupulous unscrupulous <laughs> what's wrong with my vocabulary today um anyway they're really just i mean there's lots of uses for them you don't have to rent them by the hour you can rent them for a whole night they're for all different people and they're themed so they can be like cool like there was one near our house in Hamakita that was an actual ship like a like cruise a, ship like a huge big like pirate ship right looking but it, thing. it wasn't in the water it was like in the middle of a rice field and there was nothing <laughs> around it and it was lit up all night long and you're like what is that thing and it was a huge ship so they have these weird in essence a love hotel is like a mostly a themed hotel they have like crazy super mario ones they have disney ones like all the rooms are different um characters and things like that you can rent them for a rest 
or a stay. Now, a rest is usually like a couple hours and a stay is overnight. And generally, you can't enter them until about 9 or 10 p.m. For if, if you're going to do it. over, And then the next morning, you know, you, you leave. You also can't leave the room. Like you go in and you're, you're just in the room. It's not like you get locked in. But once you leave, you can't go back in the room. So basically, you're either there overnight you know, like you get in at like 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. and you spend the night at this love hotel and the rooms have crazy stuff in them. I mean, all of them are different, but they usually have like, it's Japan. So they got like video game systems <laughs> yeah. and karaoke machines and crazy bathtubs and like games, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you wake up next morning, you leave. They are a very, very interesting experience. They can also serve the purpose though, if during the day, let's say you're out and about and, and you really just one of the cool things is that you you need like a couple hours you just want to go to sleep you can rent them during the day for you know basically per hour i think every couple hours however each one works and you can go in and you can actually just rest in these um you know during the day so there is a purpose there for that as well yeah they're not that cheap though actually so no they're pretty much the same price as a regular hotel but another neat thing that they do for people who and japan is crazy because there's people up all the time and they're like they're not sleeping when you think they should be sleeping. And then they're sleeping when you're like, you shouldn't be sleeping. <laughs> so they have internet cafes. So internet cafes are for people who want to use the internet or want to play on gaming systems that they may, might not have at home or something like that. So you go in and you can rent a, a room or you can rent a seat or you can, there's a couple different options. But one night when we were flying back to Hamakita where we lived and we couldn't get the last train home, we were in Osaka. We're like, okay, well, we have the option of renting a hotel, which will be expensive. Boo. So maybe we'll try a love hotel. So we wandered around, tried to find a love hotel. That didn't work either for one reason or another. They were just all booked. It was like a Friday night. Yeah, they were all booked and whatever. So then we were like, oh, getting crazy. we'll try to sleep in a McDonald's. But then the McDonald's closed at 2 a.m. So we ended up at an internet cafe and this was the one and only time we slept in an internet cafe and we were with our friends Courtney and Calum who we mention a lot on the podcast and the four of us rented like a room in an internet cafe and it was kind of just like partitioned by you know like an office you know wall or whatever what are those called yeah there's like a cubicle know. almost yeah, like a cubicle. cubicle and we there were four of us and we all just like laid flat with some blankets in this almost like an office cubicle and we there's like a little mat on the ground yeah. and you know we had a computer there if we wanted internet which we didn't <laughs> so um, like our legs but, were under the desk and like their heads were like <laughs> up against the wall but i mean it sounds crazy but this is normal and you pay per hour um, it's pretty cheap. And it is. It's really cheap. So it's just what I love about Japan is that you have the ability to do, uh, you have all these different options all the time. And so Heather mentioned sleeping in McDonald's, which might sound weird to some of you. But actually in Japan, one of the things that you can do is, you know, they have restaurants. And so if it's, I remember one of my first nights ever in Japan, we were out. And we go, go to, to like a we go to Denny's? a Denny's, <laughs> and unfortunately they didn't have like a Grand Slam breakfast. They only had like weird food on the menu. But it was a Denny's, an American chain Denny's with just different food that served Japanese food. And it was like three a.m. in the morning, and I I didn't know how to get back to my hotel or something. And we go in, and there are just people like 
with their heads down on the tables and they're just sleeping. And that's a very common thing if restaurants are 24 hours for people just to go in and, you know, order something and eat and then just sleep for like an hour or two to catch the next train. So you'll always see people sleeping in restaurants if they're 24 hours. A lot of people will just sleep in the train stations. I mean, they're super clean. Yeah, I and get, they're not I've like done that before. People. These are people like a, in a business suit might just like be asleep on a bench. <laughs> Yeah. At a train station. And I've, I've slept in train stations before when we've missed like the last train or, you know, it's 4 a.m. and we had to get back and the next, the first train wasn't until 5.30. So you just, you sit down on the floor and you, you up against the wall or some people even lay down, you just go asleep. So restaurants, train stations, it's definitely not something that is, I guess, frowned upon. It, it's, it's normal for people to sleep in these kind of places. So, um, yeah, you got lots of options there for accommodations. So there you go. And and I actually know, you know, a lot of people, oh, the other one is airports. You know, we've had to sleep, unfortunately, in uh, Haneda, which is the, the one of the airports in Tokyo. There's two of them. I think we, we've slept in both of them now. But Haneda, for whatever reason, we'd have flights out in the morning, but the last train would get you there at like 1 a.m. And we would and then have the to... the first train of the morning wouldn't get you there in time. Right. And so we'd have to sleep for like four or five hours. And people do. It happens all the time. It's It's not frowned upon. And it's actually... I like it, but I wouldn't. Want to do <laughs> I don't it all like the time. it, but you do what you have to do in the name of travel. That's so, right. One one last thing with accommodations: okay. always, always, always get non-smoking rooms. I mean, if you're if you're not a smoker, um, even if you are a smoker, man, some of these smoking rooms are awful because people it's smoke bad. so much in Japan that you walk in and it's like you feel like you're just licking like cigarettes. It's yeah, so it's really bad. Gross. So make sure you specify non-smoking room. Yeah. All right, on to our favorite subject, and that is eating. (laughs) Hopefully, this doesn't take as long as the other ones that we've been talking about. But eating in Japan is great because they're like everything in Japan. There are a lot of options. And so eating cheap and, and understanding, I guess not even understanding how to eat. We gave you some of the etiquette stuff, but eating cheap is an option. Or, of course, there's really, really high end restaurants where you can get great food, too. But I think a lot of people go and they're like, they're unsure what they're going to do for eating because they think they always have to eat at restaurants or what have you. Um, one of the coolest things about Japan is that they have kombinis. And that's a, a one of my favorite Japanese words. It's actually called a kombini. <laughs> and a kombini is a convenience store. Yeah. So like a 7-Eleven, um, these places, they are everywhere in Japan. Like you'll have like... On one street, there could be 10 kombinis. Yeah. They're they're everywhere. And they serve... Some of them serve like hot food. Um, what I really like... So why we're talking about this with eating is they're really great to get low-cost snacks. And, and this is great, too, if you're going to hop on a train ride for a couple hours. Um, they'll have kombinis in the train stations, things like that. Um, I really love these things called onigiri. They're the thing I think I miss the most about Japan is onigiri. And onigiri are just rice balls. Yeah. And uh, they, they have different flavors. Or they'll put like different types of things inside the rice balls. But in essence, they're about a dollar or less. You get these rice balls. You get one or two. And uh, that's a decent lunch. And they're, I love the egg um, the egg fried rice balls. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're very so good. good. So um, the onigiri, you get these onigiris and they make a meal. Uh, you can get all types of regular convenience um, store type food at convenience, but it's a great way to eat 
cheap when you're in Japan. Right. Another good way, um, which I wouldn't recommend doing the whole time you're in Japan, but there are vending machines everywhere. So as often as you'll see well, a kombini... We, listen, <laughs> when we say everywhere, we literally mean you could be in the middle of a rice field. There, there's like, you couldn't see a house, for, like as far as I can see, and there'll be like a row of 17... Um, vending, machines. vending machines. So, selling. if you ever need water, if you ever need a Pokari sweat, if Which you like need, a sports drink. <laughs> if you ever need a Coke Zero but not Diet Coke, a Coke Zero because I don't even think they sold Diet They've Coke. They've got in vending Japan. machines full of just different types of coffees, like all types of coffees, and then a bunch of food vending machines. They have cigarette vending machines too. Uh, they're everywhere. So, talk about convenient. I mean it. It is, again, not that you want to eat out of these all the time, but for especially for getting drinks, I mean, they're everywhere. And so you don't have to carry water or anything with you. You know, you just, there you go. There's vending machines with coffee and green teas and sodas. and Yeah, it's pretty wild. So vending machines are a good option. One of our favorite options for cheap eating is kaiten sushi. So you might be thinking, what is kaiten sushi? Trav? Yeah. Kaiten I guess translated means conveyor belt sushi. And you might have these where you live. There's some in the cities in America. You know, we have actually yet to go to one in America, but they're everywhere in Japan. And basically sushi, different types of sushi goes around on conveyor belts and you sit at a table and you just pick the plates of sushi off that you want and you just eat as much as you want. And then they come around. It's really fun. They count how many plates you ate. And usually, you know, a plate is like equivalent to about a dollar. Usually it's about a hundred yen depending on the type of sushi. And uh, yeah, it's really, you know, for like 8 to $10, you can eat tons and tons of sushi. Yeah. And it's pretty good. I mean, it's not going to be as high quality as going into some of the nice sushi restaurants in Japan, but it's going to be a fraction of the price. So if you want something just quick and easy, those are definitely fun. The ones that we liked the most were Kapazushi and Sushi Ro. So those are yeah. two chains. That- Kapazushi and Sushi Ro. And um, in Tokyo, there's one that's really neat. That's a, it's right in Shibuya. Uh, Shibuya. And um, I, I think there's a few of these because it's a little bit of a chain, but I think it only is in Tokyo. It might have spread out now, but it's called the Standing Sushi Bar. It's If you're in Shibuya, it's near the Burger King. Um, and it's called the Standing Sushi Bar. And their sushi is about twice as expensive as the conveyor belt sushi, but it's probably five times as good. Yeah. So again, you're talking maybe like $2 a plate of sushi. So you can get some really, really good sushi. And when we say a plate of sushi, we mean like, Two pieces of sushi. Right. Two pieces of sushi. One to two pieces of sushi. For like two bucks. So you can really fill up um, fairly cheap and it's a really fun environment and you get exactly what you want. So definitely check out those those type of sushi places. You know, you can spend a lot of money on really good sushi. And that is one thing I would recommend that if, and we'll talk about this when we do Destination Diary Japan. I know we've been saying that. We'll do a whole nother episode on very specific places. But if you're going to spend money on food in Japan, sushi... Spending it on really good sushi is is fun every once in a yeah, while because absolutely. they have incredible, incredible sushi. Fast food. <laughs> this is something we don't do in a, in the States almost ever. Or even when we travel to other countries, we generally never eat fast food. But in Japan, it's a different story. In Japan, I'm telling you what. You have to go to McDonald's one time while you're in Japan because it is like the best McDonald's you will ever eat, ever. And I don't even know. I've probably... In the three years since we've been home from Japan, been to McDonald's once or twice, 
I don't think I'll ever go to a McDonald's if it's not in Japan. But the the food at the McDonald's in Japan, I mean, it's obviously the same food, but they prepare it as soon as you order it. So it's as if it's made to order. It's always perfectly fresh, perfectly presented. It's delicious. It's legitimately a good restaurant, and it's same prices in the States. We ate at Japan. There was one about a... <laughs> about a five-minute bike ride from our house, and I, I will admit we ate there at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week, <laughs> but it it was really good. It tasted, it was fresher. Who knows calorically if it was better for us, but it just tasted better. The people were really nice, and they do all these crazy menus. So they used to have stuff like the Manhattan Burger, or the, the, Idaho, the Burger. Texas Burger, the Idaho Burger, which had a hash brown on it. So they do some funny stuff as well. Um, McDonald's was our favorite fast food, but, but they is, also have Japanese like burger places, like Freshness Burger, and a couple other things like that. Yeah. So the fast food in Japan is pretty good because they really take pride in their work. So everything they're making is really good. Yeah, I, I, it's a good, it's a good balance between I think the fast food that we're used to in Western culture, which is not so great most of the time, and um, but it's still it's still cheap. So. Also, we want we should mention izakayas. Izakaya is a name basically for like I don't want to say. Well, I guess it kind of is like a Japanese dive bar, like a smaller local bar um, that has food. Now, this will be difficult. Some of the izakayas for you to go into and order because a lot of them will only have menus in Japanese. So you could go with a Japanese speaker, or you could go and test your luck and point to the menu and see what comes out, which we've done before, and it's uh, with mixed results, but. There are izakayas, and some of these are are bigger ones that you'll see in cities and things like and suburbs, where you actually are given like a touch screen, and you just you can actually you see pictures of what the food is, and then you just actually touch the screen, and they'll bring it out to you, which is pretty neat. Yeah, so they make it pretty easy. And when we do a destination diary, we'll do more about like certain restaurants and chains. And I know like if you're from the west coast of the U.S., some of this Japanese food stuff will be really not surprising news to you because there's a lot of Japanese chains on the West Coast. But over here on the East Coast, Japanese food culture other than sushi and maybe ramen is pretty foreign to it us. It is. Yeah, we went knowing nothing really about Japanese food culture and uh, just really, really enjoyed it. And the eating experience there is is a pretty fun eating experience being in restaurants and it's just a really festive atmosphere as well, usually when you're at restaurants and eating out and yeah. things like that. Speaking of festive, I guess we could talk about the last type of eating and drinking. Yeah, this is kind of our last, I, I guess our last piece of advice here, a general piece of advice, and that is that the Japanese do this really well. And there's things called nomi hodai, which is means all you can drink, and tabe hodai, which means all you can eat, which, <laughs> you know, pretty crazy. foreign concept, especially the all you can drink concept. Unless you're going to like a fundraiser beef and beer or something like that, you don't normally have all you can eat and all you, or all you can drink. Sometimes you have all you can eat. Um, they do this a lot in a lot of different restaurants. Yeah, so it's like a set price. You pay the price and the, you have usually two hours, I think, and in those two hours, you can eat as much and drink as much as you want. And they do this sometimes at, at karaoke places, too, where it's like uh, Nomi Hodai, where you drink the whole time. And it can get quite dangerous if you don't limit yourself. But it's pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Especially at karaoke places, if you do a Nomi Hodai. I mean, every place is different, but you're looking at about $10 per person per hour is kind of what it used to 
you know, broke down to, you know, while you're doing karaoke, of course, you need some drinks. And usually we should mention how karaoke works there. Um, karaoke is a lot different than it is in the States where, you know, you it's like one karaoke machine in a bar and you get up and you sing to the bar. That's kind of what we're used to here in the States. In Japan, usually you rent a room with a group of friends and you're in your own room and you have your own microphones and you get to put on all your own songs and you basically just stay in this room and sing and dance and get crazy and do whatever you want and you pay per hour. And so you, you'll pay a certain amount to ca- actually karaoke. And if you want to add Nomi Hodai on, it's like usually $10 an hour, all you can drink. And I mean, they'll bring you as many drinks. We used to call up and just be like, we need 30 beers. There's like yeah. 10 of us. And they're like, okay. And they'd bring a tray of 30 beers for now, us. Now, to and- be fair, the beer's not great. And the mixed drinks are also pretty below average, but it's cheap and it's fun. And we did it quite often when we lived in Japan. Some of our best nights were spent at the karaoke bar. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, asked or invited or you find a place that has nomi hodai or tabe hodai um especially if you're with uh, japanese people um or you're with a big group it's just really really fun and it's a unique thing to their culture that we don't really have in our culture um is the name nomi hodai and tabe hodai culture and uh just a good time so that that's it heather can you think of anything else i mean we were trying to paint broad strokes here um, I mean, we obviously gave you some really specific things with like Hyperdi and, and names of different airlines and some specific rules, but we were trying to kind of give you a, an overview of what it is like to travel in Japan if you don't speak English and if it's, or if you don't speak Japanese and is it that hard? So I hope that this helps kind of, you know, demystify the travel to Japan a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, basically, Japan is a super clean, super efficient, super friendly country. So we, we didn't have to do a podcast. No, we could have just, just said that. go yeah, to Japan. Basically. It's these three things. So if you were listening that whole time, and you just heard that at the end. I hope you enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> but yeah, basically, it's awesome. And you should go and yeah, enjoy and- the country. Yeah, and we'll be doing so. That's going to wrap it up, guys. We touched on the the etiquette, the transportation, the accommodations, and the eating. I think some of the biggest takeaways. Not to belabor this point, um, but you know the etiquette. The two that always stick with me: make sure to take your shoes off. Don't stick your <laughs> chopsticks in the rice. They will again not really admonish you, but people will be very, very shocked if you want to see Japanese people be like shocked to their core. Stick your chopsticks into a bowl of rice. Um, it it won't be pleasant. You'll 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 feel really bad. Um, transportation. Some of the big takeaways for transportation. Get the rail pass. Definitely, Hyperdia dot com is going to be your best friend for for train schedules. And overall, definitely use the train system because it's the best in the world. Um, accommodations. Agoda is awesome. Rakuten is awesome. Stay in a hotel. Stay in a Ryokan. Go to an onsen. Yeah, check out a love hotel maybe. And if you're really adventurous, Capsule Hotel and Internet Cafes. Mm, that'll avoid. That'll, <laughs> that'll dig you into the into the real culture of Japan. And eating is definitely, definitely possible on the cheap because there are so many options. Um, check out Kombini's, definitely the sushi places and uh, Nomi Hodai and Tabai Hodai. Tabe Hodai um, are really, really fun experiences. So that that's going to wrap it up for our Japan Survival Guide. We mentioned a lot. You can get it all in the show notes at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. We will also link up our teaching English in Japan 
podcast as well because a lot of people have asked us about that because that's why we got to spend two years in Japan. It was a really great experience. So we dive into exactly how we did that, the programs we went through and what to expect, the pros and cons in that one. And we will be doing a Destination Diary Japan episode where we kind of give you more specifics about where to eat, drink, and things like that as well. Um, but we just have so much information in Japan. We had to cut it into three episodes. So make sure you check those ones out, guys. I want to give a shout out to Tortuga Backpacks, our sponsor for today's episode. You can go to tortugabackpacks.com, use your promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. And Heth, I definitely want to mention our community location, Indie. Yeah, it's such an awesome community that really helps to support people in all of their entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah, so if you're looking to travel, live, and work anywhere in the world, make sure to check out locationindie.com. Hop on the email newsletter list. You'll get a ton of free goodies there, and then you'll be able to see if that's a good fit and if it's right for you. And if it is, we'd love to have you join. If you're listening to this Right when it comes out, I've got a really important announcement too that I don't want people to miss. And that is that we are holding our first real extra pack of peanuts meetup. And that will be in New York City on Monday, November 16th. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, we'd love to have you come join us. Um, It's an extra pack of peanuts in collaboration with our buddy Jason from Zero to Travel um, a meetup there, and we are meeting with our special location indie members an hour before, and then at 6 p.m. on Monday, November 16th, we will then be opening up to all extra pack of peanuts, zero to travel listeners, um, and community members, and we're super excited because we already have like 55 people of RSVP saying they're going to come, which boggles my mind. So, um, really friendly, cool atmosphere. And we just would really like to have people. I can't tell you where it's going to be because I'm not actually sure yet. Still working on it. But if you're interested in that, make sure to hop on our email newsletter because I'm going to be sending out an email with all the dates. Um, and I will do that even like Monday, the day of this event. I'll send out a reminder. So if you're listening to this quote unquote live, um, you can get on to the email newsletter list by texting the word peanuts. P-E-A-N-U-T-S to 33444. That'll hop you on the Extra Pack of Peanuts email newsletter. You'll get our four free videos um, as the beginning series on how we always get the cheapest flights anywhere in the world. And you'll stay up to date because we are not just going to do a New York City meetup. That is our first one. I've heard from a lot of people who have said, hey, you know, what about this city? What about that? We are making a very conscious effort to start doing a lot of meetups all over the world when we travel. And the best way to stay abreast of that is to be on our email newsletter because we'll be letting people know where we're going to be and uh, when we're going to have meetups. So, Heth, you're up for meeting up with more people, right? Absolutely. Yes. I'm super excited. New York City is just the uh, tip of the iceberg. It just starts the ball rolling. Absolutely. So thank you guys um, for joining us today. Thank you, of course, for tuning in and making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And Heth, I will let you sign it off. (laughs) Until next time, happy Happy free free travels. travels.